Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. Baruch Hashem. We have a little uh, gathering of the family today. So I would... Uh, I chose to record the shir during the day. Much to the chagrin of the people that usually join us on Skype. Yes, maybe we'll have time later for bring with them as well. Gimel Tamuz, 26 years. What does it mean to us? What do we take from it? How do we ride with it? Better yet, how do we deal with it? We've been going through the last few months worldwide dealing with a illness, with a virus which is so, so bewildering to men. Although they're now coming up with vaccines, they're now coming up with different methods, etc. Although the death toll is now coming to a grind, Barajam, Certain places that reopened, as we call it, are suffering the consequences, and certain aren't. Some were very secluded before, and some were not. Some have herd immunity, and some don't. Questions are myriad of questions. What is it? Who does it affect the most? What blood type gets more affected than what? It's, it's, it's a total, total befuddlement and bewilderment. And therefore the shuls were closed and different places were closed. People started eventually after the, only after the Rabbanim allowed them only after the rabbis, local rabbis, their community, allowed what was known as porch minyanim, which means if ten people on different porches on one block, one side of a block, were able to see each other, then such a minion was able to be held. This was considered a minion, a quorum, and this was allowed to be, this was permitted, halakhically. If, however, Five were on one side of the street, five on the other side of the street. This was not considered a minion. Kaddish, etc. cannot be recited. However, if there was a minion on one side of the street and the other side of the street people lived, one or two or three people, they could be mishtatif with the minion, but not mishtatif to the minion. They could be, they could participate with the minion, but they could not be counted as the minion. So they could answer Baruch Hu, Kaddish, Kiddusha, etc. They could hear Kriya But because people were being kept far apart from each other, therefore, if you were on the other side of the street, you stayed on the other side of the street. You didn't cross. We merited Baruch Hashem on Shavuos. On our block, we got the street to be closed off. And 
the Aseris Adibris were read. Every family brought out the wife, men, women, and children were outside, women on one side, men on the other. It was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Children received Peklach. Beautiful event. But it wasn't in Shul. The Kedushas Beisaknesis was not there. Now, phase two has entered, and people have started to go back to Shul. Limitations. Not the shul should not have been should not be packed. Only X amount of people. Distancing should still be kept. People should be wearing masks. Till now, out of shul and out of shul, and pretty much was kept to. This shlav, this stage is a much more difficult one especially in a shul like our local shul, the main shul, 770 Eastern Parkway. And the Nisoyen is very, very great, and therefore everyone feels they belong there. And therefore, although there was X amount of people that were supposed to be going at a time, I don't believe that's being kept to protocol. I don't believe anybody's wearing masks in shul, or keeping social distancing for that matter. Shem should protect everyone. What should I say? Unfortunately, the returning to the shul on Monday morning, which was Rosh was welcomed with song and dance. Music was blaring. The bakram was dancing. I think yesterday or the day before they opened up the ladies section as well. Now the ladies can come to shul. And a woman came into the shul. Took a picture, either a selfie or a picture of the shul itself. And sent this picture of the shul to her class group. She's a married woman with grand she's a grandmother already. They have a class group still when they went to school together. And she sent this picture to her class group saying, The joy, the bracha that is made for joy and happiness when one reaches a certain momentous time. person makes a pidyan aben the first time they redeem a firstborn, which hopefully we'll be able to talk about in the shir. Later, Father makes a Sheikh Yonu because it's the first time. On if we make Sheikh Yonu with Kiddush, on different occasions, on the first, second night of Shashana, we make Sheikh Yonu on the fruits. First night. Shechiyonu is a very, very special reserved bracha that's made on very, very happy occasions. So, the average woman looked at this picture 
and saw what this person wrote or said in a voice, not whatever it was, and they shed a tear. How exciting, how wonderful, how beautiful once again the shul is open. I've told this before. When the concentration camps were liberated, I don't remember which vision it's a Munkach, I don't remember which rabbi it was. The American soldiers were standing there, they liberated the, the concentration camp, and people were jumping for joy and screaming and yelling and cheering. And he stood there very, very serious. I said, Rebbe, we're free. We can leave. We're alive. We've been saved. And his answer was, Nisht avdem abir This is not what I was waiting for. This is not what I anticipated would be the freedom from this horrific, horrific nightmare. I anticipated one and only freedom, the freedom of Mashiach Tzadkenu, the redemption, the Geula Mitas. There's a muscle attributed to the Mazitcha Magid. The Rebbe tells it by the Fabrengen many times. And the Rebbe also mentions it, I believe, in the first Sikha that the Rebbe spoke after the heart attack in Tav Shalom Ches. The child, the father, goes into hiding from his child. He's not looking to punish him, he's not looking to torture him, chas v'shalom. He wants his child to say, to call out, Tate bistu, Abba, Efoata, Father, where are you? Padre, donde estas? Papa, donde estas? He wants the child to call out. But when 10 minutes goes by and 15 minutes goes by, and the child does not react the way the father expected. The father gets despondent. Oi! My my son, he's become too acclimated, too orientated in in the environment that he's in. So much so that as Zuchmanish, he's not looking for his father. This is a pain, a terrible pain for the father. Our father is in hiding 26 years. He's waiting for us to cry out, Admosai. How long are we going to be subjected to this exile? How long is it going to be until Mashiach reveals himself and takes us all to Yerushalayim, Irakadish? Ad Mosai. How long will this be? How long can we possibly hold out any with this horrific, horrific exile in which we are in? So when the shul opened up again, yes, it's a very exciting moment. We can return to shul, although I haven't yet. 
still have our minion outside on my porch. But when the shul opened up, it was bittersweet. This is not what we were waiting for. This is not what we're anticipating. This is not what we've been crying for. When this all started, the Rabbonim and the the doctors said, stay home. Do not go out of your home. Do not expose anyone else. Do not get exposed from anyone else. And when people were sitting at home davening and they were crying and saying, Rabbeinu Shalaylam, I don't hear Baruch Hu. I don't hear Kiddush, I don't hear Kaddish. I don't hear Chazor HaShashatz. They davened with a certain amount of tears that they could not conjure up on regular circumstances. The person that could not go to work and that had to work remotely, which was not anywhere near as productive as working in his, in his business, or the storekeeper that could not work at all. They cried and they moaned and bemoaned the situation. And they had in their, in their hands, in their midst, the opportunity and the power to cry out and say, Admosai. Not when will my business open again, will I go back to my store, will I be able to go back into my regular office. Not when I can go back to shul, when we can go into the mikveh again, or anything of the sort. But to cry out, we can't anymore send Mashiach. And if every Yid would have used that opportunity to the fullest umpteenth level, and use that opportunity to cry out and say, we can't anymore, Mashiach would have been here. But no, everybody's smarter. These guys went to a little shtibel here. These guys made a backyard over here. These guys made it in an alley over there. There was no, the actus was broken. The unity of the nation was broken. The chain, the links were not all in one. And we severed our power, we severed our koyach that we had to cry out at Mosai. And to cry out and say, we can't anymore. We're not here though to put fault on anybody. We're not here now to hurt anyone to speak badly, about anybody. Many a times throughout the generations, opportunities presented themselves, whether it was the story of Wolf Kitsis, or the myriad of other stories, where people, had they said something different, acted differently, Mashiach would have come. How can we say this and how can we decipher these stories? Because fact to be told, Shiach didn't come. So how do we know and how could we have said 
And how is it that we're tens or decades or hundreds of years later and without Mashiach still? Rabbi say the lesson that we need to take from this is today in day, day's age, today's way of life, our only way of survival is listening to Das Teda. We go to the Rav, and what the Rav tells us, that's what we need to do. If the Rav says, you go to some, the Rav and tell the Rav, this person babbled me, he did something terrible to me, this and the Rav says, you know what, forgive it, forget it, and let it ride. And if the tailor says so, Hashem will let you have it, will give you peace. Unfortunately, for those many people that go to a Rav and the Rav says something, and they decide, eh, the Rav is antiquated, he is out of date, he's out of touch. And therefore, his advice is obsolete. There's a famous story of Moshe Feinstein. The Rebbe used to constantly send people to the Moshe. Gon Otsum, the author of the Igus Moshe, and many others. Ayyid came to the Meisha and he says to him, the Meisha, Rabbi Feinstein, Shlita, it's the nine days. And I'm not allowed to shave in the nine days, obviously. But I have a very, very important business meeting coming up. In the nine days. And these people are here from overseas and they're very, very wealthy. And I'm afraid if I look a little... Budget over here with my beard with stubble I'm afraid they won't look at me in the right eyes can I possibly shave turn on the middle light switch can I possibly shave in the nine days and Moshe said you could go to the meeting but you definitely cannot shave so the nine days is so severe that even big business meetings one should try to avoid court cases, agadet, but even big business deals. Unless they're mummish that have to happen that time. Anyway, he left Ramesh's office. Mm-hmm. As I said, many people feel that they're much smarter than the Rabbanim. And so he left the office and he went home. He looked at himself in the mirror with a stubble on his face and said, there's no way that I could go to this meeting looking like this. If I show up like this, this deal is not going to go through. So he shaved. Nice clean, took his face, shave. And came to the meeting, and the people were extremely impressed with the presentation, 
he looked like a very respectable person. At the end of the meeting, they said, everything looks fine. How do we know we can trust you, though? Trust me? What does that mean? Of course you can trust me. I'm a God-fearing Jew. Jews have a tailor, and the tailor says you can't steal or do things not... So one of the people says to him, excuse me? And a guy, a guy. You're a God-fearing Jew. Yeah. I have a neighbor who's a God-fearing Jew. I see him the other day. His beard is like stubbles always. It looks horrible. And I said to him, Mister Whatever, what's going on? Shaver broke. And he said, no, 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 it's the three weeks, the nine days, we're not allowed to shave. Till after Tishabov. Yet, he says, you claim to be a God-fearing Jew, and you shaved in the nine days. If you're not honest and upfront with your own religion, how can we trust you in business? And the deal went kaput. Das Teda, Rabbi say. This is Das Teda. Chavetz Chaim was sitting with a group of very wealthy people. And he was sitting with them and he was discussing with them the mitzvah of tzedakah. And he was discussing how important tzedakah is and the schus of tzedakah and how a person gets themselves so many schusim, so many merits for giving charity, helping out terror institutions, etc. Afterwards, one of the givirim, the rich people, came over with a little bit of chutzpah to the Chavetz Chaim and said, tell me, don't you feel bad you can't support a nice Torah scholar? It said how great the schus is. Excuse me, he tells the Chavetz Chaim, come join me in business. I'll take you as a partner. You make a very nice living. And I'm Hashem you'll be able to support Torah organizations, Torah scholars. I said to Chafiz Chaim, the idea sounds great, but you have to understand, you have a wonderful Mahaba, but it's still not compared to the world to come that's given to the Torah scholar. But more than that, the terrorist scholar has a better Elam Haza as well, this world. Really? Man says, I live in a mansion. I drive, I have three cars. I have a boat. I go on vacation every few weeks. What do you have? How can you say this world is better to you than this world for us? Chaim said it's in the Torah. 
Torah says, "Smach zvulun b'tzisecha, v'yisachar b'yalecha." Zvulun is very happy when he goes out to work, and Yisachar is very happy when he sits, learns Torah, sits in the oil of Torah. Why would the Torah tell us, says the Chavetz Chaim, that Zvulun is happy to go out to work? Why does he want the money to come to him? Why does God to work? <coughs> it's not what it says. It's not what it means, says Chavetz Chaim. Chavetz Chaim says, When he goes out of the world, when he goes out of the world, that's when he's happy. Because then he has the Elam Haba, then he has the real fruits of his tzedakis. He reaps the fruit of his that he planted. Yisachar, sitting here in this world is happy because he's sitting in the basking in the tent of Teda, Teda study. Das Teda, Rabbi Yisai. Moshe Rabbeinu. In this week's Pasha, Pasha's Kedach. Vayakom Moshe. Kerach was going through with his plan. He was going to raise the Havgana. He was going to do one of these protests. Instead of fireworks all night, he was going to protest against Moshe and Aaron. The real protest was against Aaron Akayin. Why is he a Kain Godl and I'm not? That was the crux of it. Also that Moshe was the leader and he isn't come from the same tribe. Moshe gets up and he goes to stop Kerach once again. Remember, like I said, this was a battle directly against Moshe Rabbeinu. And we know at this point in time the decree from heaven was already sealed. Sealed, signed, delivered, Kairach was to die. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu commands Moshe to show everybody that wants to see what's going to happen to these people. Pasuk says, Helum is soviv the Mishkan Go around the sea. Everyone should watch. It's going to happen to Kerach, Dos, and Avidim. For any second, the ground will open up its mouth, which was created in Ashmoshes and Erev Shabbos on the sixth day of creation, and will consume, will swallow up Kerach and his people. So Meisha knew it's over. Yet, Meisha sets out to try to stop Kerach. And the tailor says it, He went once again to Dosan Vavidam to talk to them and stop them. But the tailor continues something very interesting, The elders followed him. Followed Meshach as well. 
Why? Why were they going now? They tried already once. And they were spat in their faces. It was too late now. Hakash Baruch sealed the whole deal. On the other side, from the other hand, if he's trying to get them to repent, why doesn't it say that he spoke to them? Then it just says he went. There was no conversation whatsoever. He just showed up there. Rashi, the champion of the of the Chamesh B'Mikra, in Shudash B'Mikra says, "Vayakam Baisha, Kasavar she used to lay upon him. He thought he felt if they'll see him face to face." This was Moshe's objective. If they would see eye to eye, face to face, perhaps, just perhaps. So therefore, after the decree was already sealed, Moshe Rabbeinu could not speak to Dustin Avinim any longer. He could no longer try to wake them up, try to awaken within them to repent. For HaKadosh Baruch already commanded exactly what's going to happen. And HaKadosh Baruch already commanded to Mesha stay away from them. And let the nation see how they're going to be punished. However, Mesha Rabbeinu in his infinite Avas Yisrael, love for a fellow Jew, jeopardizes himself and goes out that one more time maybe, maybe on a a, a fluke maybe he'll accomplish that they should repent who stood in his full glory he went as a king He was hoping that seeing the royalty, perhaps, perhaps, they will realize that Moshe is really the one that's fit to be king. Excuse me. And that way, they would repent. They would go back and they would be saved from what they were being subjected to. And this we find also in the continu- continuation of the Pasuk. Vayelch Achrav Ziknei Yisrael The elders of the Jews went after Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu did not command, was not commanded to take with him the elders. So why were the elders behind him? Where were they going? In general, why is the Torah even telling us that the elders went?
But the fact is that these words tell us the essence of what Meshe Rabbeinu did. The fact of Ayakam Meshe. He stood up in his full royalty. This was a very big influence. So much so that the elders felt deep down that they needed to follow him. And this way Meshe Rabbeinu shows up with his whole pomp and stance, with his cane and the elders behind him, etc. And him in his royal garb, perhaps this would affect Kerach and his nation and his people. Fortunately, they did not take the hint. From here we learn the greatness of Avas Yisrael of Meshrabinu. The great love that he had for a fellow Jew, unconditional. And so much so that he was ready, ready to give everything that he had, everything of himself to help a fellow Jew. Although the decree was already sealed, and the gates of repentance were sealed, so much so that HaKadosh Baruch says, get away from these people. But still in all, the shepherd, the loyal, faithful shepherd, could not leave his flock. He just couldn't leave them. He couldn't abandon them. And tried what, which way to save them from Chaim Sheila. As long as the earth did not swallow them, they still stood a chance. Maybe, maybe. The faithful shepherd never leaves his flock. And if this is how far Meshur Rabbeinu goes to save people that spat him in the face, that revolt, revolted in, in totally against God, Rahman So much more so in our day. The sinners of today's days do things either because they didn't know or because a spirit of folly enters them the one, the ten, the twenty, the thirty times that they did this horrific sin. Like a tinik shinishbu ben amin. Like the child captured amongst the nation. And therefore it is clear that it's it's an obligation but more than an obligation it's mandatory on each and every one of us on each and every Jew to do everything they can in every which way they can to save and to reach out to a fellow Jew and to help them with what they need and how they need it
I said before we're going to talk about the mitzvah of Pidyan Aben. Pidyan Aben, the birth, the birth of a firstborn boy, excuse me, considering many different laws involved, it needs to be the first child to this woman, it needs to be a boy, it needs to be born naturally, etc., etc., However, this law also applies when it comes to animals. But these cases, we don't redeem them. They are holy, and therefore they are brought as karbanais, sacrifices. Firstborn child, a boy, a beautiful ceremony actually and the meal if anyone partakes of a meal of a pigeon aben it's as if they fasted 84 fasts in repentance the child is presented on a silver platter bedecked with jewelry and the father is asked Father says, My Jewish wife, Ishti Israelis, had this child, this boy, first born boy. And the Kayan asks him, What would you rather? The child or five sloim? Five silver dollars. And of course, the father says, He wants the child, and therefore the exchange is made. He says, here are the coins, and he says, here's your child. Whereas when it comes to an animal, these animals are brought in the Beis HaMikdash. And this is part of the matonis, as they're called, gifts, matnis kahuna, that the Torah talks about. Because the Torah is talking about Arna Kayin being declared the Kayin Gadol, his family, the Kahanim, and therefore, the different gifts that are mentioned in this week's Pasha that were given to the Kahanam, which is one of the Bechir Behema. And this Bechir Behema. <laughs> this Bechir Behema is brought up on the Mizbeach and the meat is given to the Kahanim to eat. <coughs> if you keep me score at home, the Gemara and Zvachim, Nun Zayin Amin Aleph. 57, side 1. Tells us, or discusses a question. There are many different Karbanai sacrifices that were brought in the Vesa Midrash. Some of them, the meat was eaten by the Kahanim. Most of them, the meat was eaten by the Kahanim. Barring the Karban Oila, Karban Oila was totally consumed in flames. Now, there are different time limits to how long Karbanis could be eaten. 
some karbanis, some sacrifices were eaten a night, a day and a night, and some were two days and a night. The chatos and the osham, the forgiving, the ones that were brought for forgiveness, were eaten, had to be finished after one day and one night. Whereas the shlomim, which is a gift of thanks, sacrifice brought of thanks to God for something nice that a person experienced, not as a person saved from something. That's called the carbon tater. Shlomim. Carbon shlomim was eaten two days and a night. So this carbon, the bechir, how long was it allowed to be eaten? It tells us the Gemara that the bechir behema is just like a shlomim. And Rashi says that as well. And even though that it seems, it would seem, that this Bechir is like the Kabanas that are eaten one day and a night, but it's not mentioned as a forgiveness, as a Chatos, a Asham, Tavke Karmana Therefore, Shleitema Chazei V'Sheik Shoteida Sheinechel Yeh Milayla Not eat it like the Teida a day and a night, rather two days and a night. So what? So what? Why does this teach us anything? What do we learn from this? There's actually a very deep meaning explanation to this for the essence of the Jew. The Jew, is, the Jewish nation is referred to by God as Bani Bechiri Yisrael. My son, my firstborn. By the Bechir himself it says there are two types. As we said, Bechir Adam, which hints to the Neshama, the godly Neshama, within each and every Jew, which is essence, the true essence of each and every person, and it's a chelik elikamim al-mamish, the neshama, and it's a b'cher behema. B'cher behema is the nefesh bahamis, the evil inclination within each and every person, which is also b'cher, but b'cher behema. Therefore, Rashi hints that even the Becher Behema has no connection with Chatos, with Oshom. Not only the Nevesheli Kis, the godly soul is tied with God and doesn't want to separate, but also the Nevesheli Bahamas doesn't want to be separated from God. Yes, he tries to convince a person to sin and to do things wrong, but he never really wants to be detached from God. So the essence of every Jew is a karm shlom. What shlomim shalim ba'ilam? 
to cause peace in the world. Through purifying and elevating the world, the body, physical, mundane body, the Nefesh Bahamas, the animal soul, all have engraved within them a level of holiness. And this is the yearning, the inner yearning of every Jew. Even when it comes from his other side, the animal soul. As we spoke in the beginning, the yearning, the Admosai, the child looking and searching for his father. But still in all, we could think that perhaps the Nefesh of Bahamas of every Jew, the Bechir Behema, is still from the Shavitedah, And this carbon will be brought as a thanks on the situation that a person was in. Every Jew gives as they're saved physically, they're saved spiritually, miraculously from the Yitzhahara. For even the Holy Neshama is still in his lifetime, in his spiritual lifetime, is still constantly in danger. All the tests in Avedish Hashem, all the trials and tribulations we go through, and we don't always know how to handle it, and we don't always handle it right, we don't always handle it well. But still in all, We devote ourselves and we are saved miraculously. Rashi, therefore, brings about this possibility. The emuna, the belief, the faith that is awakened within each and every Jew that stands them and situates them to begin with in his situation with no tests, with no hurdles, no obstacles. And he's so deeply attached in his shlichus that nothing gets in his way. This is the essence of every single Jew. Not only his soul is the Shamalikus, but also because of his Nefesh Bahamas. When he reveals the essence, he's not reliant only on the miracles, he's not protected only through miracles. Because according to his own nature, he merits to the, what Dovod Melech says until him Hashem Shemrecho. Hashem tzilcho yadi minecho. God protects, God shadows. God puts before him, wipes before him 
all these tests, all these hardships, in order that one should be able to serve God completely, and most importantly, to serve God, b'simcha b'tuv leivov, joy, with happiness. I believe we spoke before about the miracle mentioned in this week's parsha with the staff of Aaron. After all was said and done with Kedach, there were still questions asked. And Moshe says that everyone should bring their staffs. Each tribe, head of tribe, had an own staff. Each one should bring their staff, put their names on it, and we'll see from there in the morning what happens. And we know that everyone brings their staff. After all said and done, after all said and done, they bring out Aaron's staff and it had on it, it had grown. And grown almonds. But the Torah tells us not just almonds, but it grew the whole nine yards. The flowers, the petals, and the almonds. So Kaddish Baruch Hu made this miracle in such a way there'd be no questions and no doubts. And this is how we merit in our days HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mission HaKadosh Baruch Hu's message to us that we need to simply believe that all that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is for the best but most importantly that we take with Das Teda and we listen in Das we listen and devote ourselves to everything that Das Teda tells us and through this and through our cry of Ad Mosai, how much longer can we hold out in this exile and not taking anything for granted? We will be Zeche, the Gula, Mitz Vashlema, Yedei Meshach, Good Shabbos, and Good Yom Tiv, as Chagagula, and Gimel Tamas tonight.